I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello there and welcome to It's an S-Pod Thing, the podcast revisiting every episode of S-Club 7's insane TV show. I'm Sophie Davis, and joining me on this journey from Miami to Spain will be a range of guests who may or may not have seen the show before. Either way, we're going to analyse it in more detail than anyone ever asked for. If you're an S-Club fan like me and remember watching the show, hopefully this podcast will bring it all back to you. So, my guest on the podcast today is Barbara Mendes-George. Hello. Hi, Sophie. Hi, so I usually start by asking, what's your history with S Club 7? And have you ever seen this TV show before? So my history with S Club 7, um, I was a fan. I would say I wasn't an obsessive fan, but I was absolutely the right age when they launched this TV show. I was 11, 12 in 1999. Mm-hmm. And I used to watch it quite regularly. You know, you if it was on, on I think it was, was it CBBC in the mm-hmm. afternoon? Um, I, I would absolutely watch it, but I wouldn't, let's say I wouldn't set my clock to go and watch them. Um, and I can only really remember LA seven and Miami seven. I know that there were way more and there were films that I only learned about recently, which really surprised me, but I have quite fond memories of this TV show. I remember enjoying it. And I even remember when S club launched as a band because there was this photo of them with their backs turned in the Smash Hits magazine being like, a new band is coming. And it was all very <laughs> mysterious. So I, the the Simon Fuller machine absolutely got its claws into me and, and I was in. That promotional thing for the launch of the band makes me think of that episode of The Simpsons when they're like, Gabo is coming and nobody knows what or who Gabo <laughs> is. And it's like a, a mystery. It sounds like that sort of thing. Escort oh. 7 are coming. Who are they? What does it mean? It's so bizarre because with Smash Hits, there are so many specific things that I remember, so many, especially captions for photos. For some reason, there was an art, no, there was a sticker package with All Saints on it. And I don't know if you remember, but they used to very often do puns on them. It wouldn't yeah. just be like Nat from All Saints. And I remember one of them, it said, I know where I'm sat rather than I know where it's at that all sits on because <laughs> I think it was Nicole was sitting on a chair and for some reason that pun has never left my mind but <laughs> so much more other useful information um would have and yeah I, I just very clearly remember that that promotion for Esther because I think it did intrigue me I was like who are these people or you know maybe the next issue they then had the same picture but you could see their fronts and I was like ah oh, <laughs> the mystery is is resolved and then and then the tv show started so yeah I was I was a fan of the TV show, but um, I've listened to your podcast from the beginning. I'm a big fan. It's been very enjoyable listening to other people talk about it, but I have to say I haven't rewatched anything yet. So this was a very interesting experience. Yeah, a lot of people seem to have a stronger memory of the first two series. I think I fall into that category as well, and I'm not sure why. Maybe we just sort of 
lost interest slightly. I'm not sure if there was actually any difference in the viewing figures or anything like that. But from what I've seen online and people I've spoken to, the Mm. general consensus seems to be like Miami 7 is really memorable, then LA 7, and then the other two series not so much. Was it even on at the same time, I wonder? Did the... Did the viewing times change or the channel? No. It was the same channel. I'm not sure about the time. Um, maybe we just possibly lost interest. Or maybe the show changed. Maybe I'll get to the next series and find that it's gone <laughs> massively downhill. <laughs> I'm not, I mean... I, I, I think it could happen based it... on this special. There is a bit of a change, which I'll I'll mention in a minute. It, it could happen. I, I do feel from, you know, listening to the audio clips that you put into the, the show... Their acting has improved a little bit, mm-hmm. but it was not great, uh, I I have to say. I I was kind of hoping it would be a bit better acting-wise than it was. And, you know, mm-hmm. the one or two people who are actual actors kind of really, you do notice the difference. But mm-hmm. um, it was still a very enjoyable experience. So today we're talking about Artistic Differences, which is a special that came between LA7 and Hollywood7. It aired on CBBC on the 9th of September in the year 2000. So a little bit of context. In the last episode of LA7, the band decided to leave LA for no particular reason. They just fancied it. Uh, They moved out of their apartment, said goodbye to Joni, their landlady. And this special immediately goes back on a lot of this. Um, it, right. it look. I think it looks very cheaply made, even more so than usual. And I think in general, it looks quite a, a bit different from the show up till this point. And that might be because it's got a different director. Uh, previously, it was all directed by um, Andrew Margotson, if that's how it's pronounced. Uh, but this special is directed by someone called Jeff Jones, who I could not find online at all. Mm. Uh, it's not a very distinctive name. There are several people called Jeff Jones on IMDb, but none of them were like an obvious candidate for this. So it's a bit of a mystery, really. Um, it just it has a bit of a different look to it where it's a little bit sort of, um, I don't know, I'm not sure what's changed, but something definitely something definitely has so you know like I said I haven't gone and rewatched any of the episodes but what I found very strange about this episode was the length of the scenes and the editing yeah like some scenes are so long <laughs> and you're like why are they still having a conversation about why it's you know scary to wake up Hannah when she's sleeping and then other scenes it's like you're introduced to someone for like a second and then it cuts back somewhere else and it makes no sense <laughs> at all. yeah exactly it's and they spend a lot of this episode in sort of massive echoey spaces. Like they have a massive house. They're in a warehouse for a lot of it. The warehouse seems to double up for different uses throughout the episode. Like I said, it seems very cheaply made. There's just something a bit sort of bleak about it. I mean, did you find that, <laughs> that it's felt a bit sort of like, oh, they're just in a big sort of grotty warehouse all the time? You know, I hadn't thought about it, but I, I think you're right. Um, big, big, empty, echoey spaces with, I, you know, I'm I'm not at all like a film person. I don't know anything about camera angles or anything like that. But I did feel like the camera work was a bit shonky. Like sometimes yeah. the camera just wouldn't focus, or you know, it would be in a in a weird position. And there's a scene later on when 
two characters are on a beach and you can only see their outlines and there's like this red background and it looks apocalyptic. It's really yeah. bizarre for like a kid's TV show. It's just, yeah, I think as it, it, many places, it made very little sense, which I think is yeah the theme of this podcast, right? <laughs> Yeah, I want to know who this Jeff Jones guy is and what he was thinking. What was the thought process for some of these scenes? Yeah, exactly. And I wanted to ask you, because I know that um, you also look into who the writer is, because for a while it was um, the guy who wrote Spice World, right? Yeah, it sort of varies. I think the writers are quite consistent throughout all four series, as far as I remember. And it's like a sort of team of like four or five different people who sort of take an episode each and alternate and yeah, this episode is some of the usual writers. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the directing is is odd. And I think that's because it's a different person, I assume. The writing's always been this weird. Mm, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, there are so many specials. And I do wonder what the purpose is of them. Because as you say, I guess it's meant to introduce the band from LA7 into Hollywood 7. But I mean, that is literally the same city, right? And I mean, yeah. even the way this opens, it's... It is weird. (laughs) Yeah, we start with John doing a bit to camera about LA. He's wearing a suit and holding a microphone like he's doing a little news report or something, but it's just completely separate. There's no reason for it. He's putting on a nice little American accent, being all like, Los Angeles, city of dreams. (laughs) It's like, why is this happening? And also, we know where we are. This isn't an exciting new location that we need John to introduce us to. It's LA. (laughs) We've been there for a whole series. And now apparently we're still there. Exactly. And I mean, why John? I could tell immediately (laughs) it was John because I know... I know his voice quite well. His accent is bad. You know, it kind of maybe he was the best one. (laughs) Well, if he's the best one, then yeah, I'm I'm sorry, guys, but you you might need to work on your or your yank accents. And yeah, it's this kind of you see him, but not the whole time. You know, you see images of LA. You know, the or images of like a voiceover with images initially, and then you see him sort of walking down the street as if he's doing a special report or something. Or something. And then, yeah, and then the way it cuts to the next scene, it's just, yeah, I feel like I'm none the wiser, basically. Yeah, they're in their car. They seem to, this was very confusing to me because. Yes, same. (laughs) But I mean, I've only just watched the LA7 finale. There was no continuity in this at all. Oh, right. Okay. I was hoping you would explain, but okay. Because, yeah, they they left LA. Now it's apparently a day later. They're arriving in LA. Paul is like, oh, it feels like just yesterday we left. And Tina's like, yeah, it was yesterday. It turns out their car broke down after 30 miles. So they're being towed back to LA. I'd love to know the thought process behind this because when they finished the last series, presumably they thought, oh, well, we'll move on to a new location in the next one. That's what we do. But then at some point, someone made the decision that they would just go back to LA and they would call it Hollywood 7. Right. And I I think maybe if they were trying to break into film or something like that, it would make sense. But yeah, what it does sound like is maybe there was meant to be an, I don't know, New Orleans 7 or, (laughs) (laughs) you you know, Boston 7. And then that fell through. So, okay, it's Hollywood 7 once again. Okay, we know the people, we know the infrastructure. So, so we're going to stay here. And, And yeah, because they were in their car, I was thinking like, Cars really are very important to the S Club 7 branding because it just immediately made me think of S Club Party 
and the you know the the video with them riding around in the car so I was like right, yeah, is this yeah. just continuing that theme um and and yeah you can see Hannah as well in the background sort of weirdly pretending to sleep and and then yeah then you find out why but it's yeah I, I thought it was interesting how it it does start filming from above and you're like oh what's going on and then it cuts and they're being towed I thought that that was that was smart enough but yeah they they talk John then says some inane things about Hollywood, some more stereotypical things, and they make a joke about Paul's underpants. And I was like, right, okay, yeah, we're back in, <laughs> we're back in this weird territory then. <laughs> yeah, same tone as usual, back in yeah. LA. Mm-hmm. The, also, it's supposed to be a day later. Some of them have got different haircuts. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> they've clearly aged a few months or two a year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, there's a whole thing about how Hannah has fallen asleep on Bradley's shoulder. None of them want to wake her up. John is being very dramatic. He says, oh, it's dangerous. Waking her up would be like trying to get toast out of the toaster with a fork. Calm down, mate. Yeah, such <laughs> such a long scene because it's John. Then they try to get Bradley to wake her, wake her up. And then they're like, right, Joe, okay, you have to do it. And I was like, is this, is again, is this something that's been discussed in the past? Is this one of her her character defining characteristics or is this a oh, new hell no <laughs> oh okay there we go <laughs> there we go this has never been mentioned before she wakes up and she's quite rattled because she's had a horrible dream that the band split up dun, she dun, says dun. we were in la one of us quit but i can't remember who it was so the band fell apart and then we all got really old, like into our thirties. <laughs> yes, that I made quite me laugh like that. <laughs> so much having, you know, seen Paul recently in first dates and, and Tina and other people where it's like, you know, we now see you in your forties. So that felt quite funny to to watch them have a crisis about their thirties. Yeah. And it does feel like someone who's, you know, someone who's about 19 would probably think that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And obviously she's worried that it's a premonition because they're now suddenly back in LA. So the first part of the dream is already coming true. Exactly. And I did enjoy the creepy music that comes when she talks about her dream, which comes back throughout the episode when she's talking about having dreams or the premonition of the dream. And I really enjoyed um, what Joe said about which dream she, oh, she, yeah. she was having. I, I, I've written it out if you want me to read it. So yeah. queen yeah. of the planet or something. It, well, so Joe, when Hannah says, oh, I've had a dream, Joe says, not the one where a meteor wipes out all forms of female life and the men make you queen of the planet. And then Hannah says, no, <laughs> this one was horrible. I was like, okay, that's, that's actually quite funny. And it is a theme in, in the episode where, when Hannah talks about her dream, you know, several members of the band will be like, oh, not this one or not that one. And uh, yeah, that, I actually did genuinely enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, I think there's one that's something like, oh, that one where you're married to Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, there's that one, and there's a few references to like Buffy and, and other things where I was like, this definitely, this very nicely places it in in this period of time in the late 90s, early noughties. Yeah, there's two references to Leonardo DiCaprio in this episode. He was clearly uh, hot at the time. <laughs> yeah, I guess Titanic. Well, it was already three years before, right? But still still very strong in, in teenage mm-hmm. girls' hearts, right? And I think sometimes what I I forgot that this was meant to be for kids, you know? So, of course, this is going to be 
seen a bit differently but uh but yeah, yeah although hannah's dream where she's uh the men make her queen of the planet does sound like a sort of quite adult dream oh yeah i mean <laughs> like with so much in this tv show every now and again there's there's references where it's like well that's clearly meant to be a nudge nudge to, to the parents or wherever whatever it is there's i've, I've written a few things down as well yeah definitely. Happens. um but yeah i i think that was probably my favorite line of the of the episode because it was quite funny and I wasn't expecting Hannah's retort. Um, but yeah, I think it is unfortunately a bit more downhill from here. Yeah, I think the dream aspect of it is quite a good running thing throughout the episode. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, other stuff isn't quite as effective. But that um, they get to the garage and they need to find $2,000 to get the car fixed. Uh, mm-hmm. Alternatively, this guy says he'll do it for $50 and a date with Rachel. And Andy. he blows her a kiss and does a really loud burp. <laughs> that was odd. It was awful. And the sound was not in sync with his mouth. No. At all. So it just felt, that felt shonky as, as hell. And that really dates, I feel, the this episode and how, yeah, Rachel's happy and smiling. And that's not the only time where something like this happens and you're like, oh, I really hope something, a scene like this wouldn't be written in anymore it's like oh yeah Rachel's the pretty one yeah she has to kind of do all because it's happened before right where people have to go with others on yeah. dates so, usually Rachel yeah usually this isn't Rachel. the first time that a date with Rachel has been like currency for the band but luckily this time she's like no yeah. and they're all like fair enough then because the yeah. guy I guess the joke is that he's sort of old and obviously he's burping so he's quite gross so the band are all okay with Rachel like not doing this this time exactly and I think it, it it fades into some kind of credit with someone possibly John going come on Rach she's not that bad <laughs> <laughs> so the car has apparently broke down because Bradley forgot to change the oil and they all mm-hmm. get really annoyed with him not sure why this is Bradley's responsibility it seems like every time there's a problem with the car it's like an arbitrary person is chosen to be blamed just however it suits the plot. Because I guess here right. it's kind of giving Bradley a bit of a reason to feel left out, isn't it? It's sort of the, the first thing where he's like, oh, everyone's picking on me today. Uh, Paul makes a list of chores. Don't know yes. what these chores are exactly, because for me, chores is like stuff you do around the house, right? But they don't have a house at this point. Exactly. And this really surprised me because I remember from listening to your earlier episodes that Paul was seen as like the stupid guy, right? Like that was very often, oh no, the, yeah. the, the, the hungry guy. Anyway, a bit of an idiot, right? <laughs> that was that was his, uh, his character trait that was given to him. So him suddenly being this person who has a rotor and a book and talks a lot about felt tip pens is very surreal that he's, he's turned into this person. Um, Paul and- is the worst in this episode. He d- is not like he's quite annoying in this episode throughout and really stubborn and overly organized and that's not really a pull trace exactly and there's he gives a couple of speeches in this episode which are absolutely appalling and I can't wait to get to them um (laughs) but yeah it, it surprised me how quickly the plot just moved like that, you know, I saw that it was 44 minutes and it, it it feels like it's almost the next scene where there's this fallout and it happens so quickly. And it's 
it's over nothing. It's, it's It starts because with some lovely kind of casual misogyny slash homophobia yeah. of the, the colors that Paul is assigning. He wants to assign pink to John and John doesn't want to be pink because it's a girly color. So then he assigns it to Bradley, who's already annoyed about the oil thing and then and then storms off. And I'm like, really? This This is a premise? Yeah, and Hannah looks disturbed because her nightmare is coming true. Bradley's yeah. stormed off for no real reason and Paul isn't going to sort of call him back or apologise for the entirety of the episode. Yeah, and in a very dramatic way, which you're like, come on, come on, Paul. Can we all stick to the rotor, please? It is quite clear. Two pages, two a month, and all chores itemised and colour-coordinated according to who should do them. Bradley, you're green, Rachel's purple, Hannah's yellow, Tina's brown, and John is pink. I don't want to be pink. It's a girly colour. Oh, I'll be pink. No, Hannah, you're yellow. John's pink. Why well, can't I be blue? <laughs> no, because I'm blue. What can we swap? No, you're kidding. Pink's a girly colour. It's a stupid rotor anyway. What? Well, it takes you ages to write it up. No one pays attention to it. And it don't work. I'm not taking that sort of criticism from a guy who blew our car up. Well, I said I'll fix it, didn't I? With what? Money? We don't have any. But that's because you spent it all on felt-tip pens, bro. Then Joe gets a phone call from Joni Mm -hmm. and it's another occasion in this show where the band seem to just get a mobile phone as and when the episode requires it. And it particularly annoyed me this time because, well, this show annoys me more than it should do. But here, in the last episode of LA7, there was a whole thing at the end about how they just left LA, like they'd literally just driven away and their agent suddenly showed up at their apartment because he had a big opportunity for them. It was something to do with a record company were interested in their demo tape. But he was like, oh, no, I've just missed them. There's no way I can possibly find them now. They're gone. (laughs) And in this episode, they've got a bloody mobile phone. (laughs) Like, what happened? And also, Joni was there. You know, when he turned Mm. up at the apartment, Joni was the one who was there like, oh, you've just missed them. They've gone. And she didn't give him a mobile phone number for them. And now in this episode, she's calling them for a chat. Yeah, I mean, I was very surprised when that phone rang. I I think because I was thinking, this is 2000. I remember I got my first mobile phone in 2001. Mm. And I was like, would they have a mobile phone? Like, wouldn't it still be a little bit of a kind of rich person thing? I guess, you know, maybe it's the US. But it it just felt very, very strange and, and how suddenly it's that Joni got them a job. It wasn't that Joe was calling Joni to ask if uh, if she knew of a job or somewhere to live. It was that Joni was already calling her back. Again, like, they've been, what, stranded for not even a... Well, a night maybe, actually, because the previous scene is in the night and then suddenly it's the daytime. So, actually, they could have been up all night. They haven't slept anywhere. <laughs> not clear. Um, and then suddenly, yeah, oh, there's a solution. Joni again, who I think figured quite highly in the in the previous series, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, then off we go. Off we go back to her and and this incredible house. Yeah, it's strange. In this episode, Joni is like a sort of fairy godmother figure who is mm. mostly off screen. And well, we'll come to it in a bit. But it's like, oh, Joni got me a job at the restaurant. Joni got <laughs> us a job at a company. Joni's found somewhere for us to live. And it's like she's doing more in this episode off screen than she did on screen in the entire last <laughs> series. What is this? 
<laughs> she is a convenient plot device in this episode then <laughs> yeah i hope they don't carry on doing that in the next series because i don't think she's in it at all as far as i remember um but yeah i hope she doesn't just carry on doing things for them off screen <laughs> yeah i mean how realistic is it as well and well yeah we, we'll come to that but th- there's a lot of jobs for a lot of people that she managed to secure in seemingly a 24-hour period um, <laughs> she, yeah incredible incredible <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, she's calling them because she's found them somewhere to live. Uh, another lack of continuity. Why they can't just move back into their apartment they left yesterday, I don't know. Maybe Jodie's yes. filled it within 24 hours, I guess. she's Someone else has immediately <laughs> snapped it up. They can't possibly go back there. I hadn't even thought of that. You're totally right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she. I just wish the time period was a bit longer. It's like, because mm. it was literally a day. It's hard to accept some of these like big changes. Like, oh, we can't possibly go back to our apartment that we left yesterday. Mm. Oh, it's bizarre. <laughs> so Joni shows up for, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is her last appearance. She shows okay. them around this house, which is massive, and they're all amazed by how nice it is. Um, I like how there's some uh, crime scene tape over the door and she just quickly rips it off before they see it. So clearly something horrible has happened there. <laughs> I love how she says, like, oh, it says welcome, welcome home in when you can clearly see the t- tape behind her head, which says do not cross. And I was like, yeah. I was like who is this comedy character, sort of female Benny Hill uh, figure that's going on? Because that's not who she sounded like from, from the previous seasons. Yeah, she is just purely in this episode for plot reasons. Mm. Um, I do quite like it, though. There's um, there's an earthquake, isn't there, which yes. basically involves the camera going mad and they're all sort of hurling themselves around the room. And Joni tries to gaslight them and is like, what earthquake? I didn't feel anything. <laughs> yeah, it's a teeny weeny little fault line, she says. I wrote that down. It made me laugh. And yeah, that earthquake scene again, one of those, it went on for a long time as if they needed to film every single member of S Club, minus Bradley, who's not there, uh, falling over or sliding a- across the floor, gripping onto a column. It was, uh, yeah, too too long, in in my opinion. We get it earthquake move on (laughs) yeah she eventually admits that the house is so cheap because it's unstable as you said it's on a fault line and there's lots of damage from the last major earthquake and she's like what would you rather have structural integrity or charm and they can't really (laughs) afford to live anywhere else can they so they just uh they just take it uh meanwhile bradley's on his own he's in a bar monologuing to this bartender about how he's being blamed for the car breaking down and he doesn't have any skills to get a proper job because I guess because they've blamed him he feels quite responsible for the two grand Mm -hmm. uh he says I don't have any skills apart from my gigantic (laughs) charisma and huge talent oh I wrote that down (laughs) (laughs) I like that felt very coded to me because he really goes like my gigantic charisma and my 
huge talent. And I thought, oh, okay, that's a lovely bit of business for the for the mums and dads who, who are not going to pick up on that. Also, the bartender he's talking to has the biggest sunglasses in the world. They're kind <laughs> of big wraparound shades. And I thought, is this someone famous? Is this some kind of cameo? Because the role that he's playing, he, he doesn't say very much, but he's quite memorable. It was, yeah, weird. Yeah, and at the end of the scene after Bradley's left, he drops a glass and looks at the camera and goes, ouch, <laughs> like he's flea bag or something. Like, why does this bartender know that there's a camera there and he's talking to the audience suddenly? Maybe he's the secret main character of this show. I, I honestly thought like, oh, he's going to come back or he's going to be revealed as someone in like a Scooby-Doo sort of way. I think the, the only explanation that I have is he, he drops a glass and it breaks. And then, you know, in the next scene, I think Hannah is sweeping up glass. So I was like, all right, is this meant to be some kind of, yeah, continuity thing or just, you know, making making fun of that? But he was he was weird. And I, yeah, I, I don't understand his purpose there apart from to just be a board for Bradley to speak at. Yeah, he's an enigma. I want to know more. I want to know <laughs> yeah. what's what's behind the enormous sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. What mysteries lurk behind. Yeah, Bradley has a little bit of luck on the job front because he opens a newspaper and there's an ad which is looking for a fourth member of a boy band. Uh, it says, singing, dancing and rap skills essential, babe magnet preferred. And Bradley's immediately like, now this I can do. <laughs> The babe magnet preferred really made me laugh because I feel like that's such a British expression <laughs> that, you know, a babe magnet preferred. I mean, sorry, I can't do an American <laughs> accent, but I, I I, imagine that's not what, you know, an advert in the US would say. But uh, yeah, that, that was, again, a nice little touch. Yeah, babe magnet preferred. That does seem very British. I suppose the uh, the manager who's placed the ad is British. So it does. there is a bit of continuity there, I guess. Oh, okay, good point, actually. Well, actually, I was going to ask you if you thought he was British or not, because he also has a bit of a weird accent. That's a bit of a theme going on in this series. But uh, but yeah, but thankfully, yeah, Bradley Bradley is in with, uh, with a stroke of luck, as you say. Yeah, then back at the house, Paul, Hannah and Rachel are tidying up because apparently John, Joe and Tina are at work because Joni got them jobs at a special effects company. Where were these connections in the last series, Joni? They never paid you any rent and now they're suddenly living in a different house and you're helping them get jobs within hours of moving there. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why those three in particular? I feel, has there been any hint that any of them would be... Any good it's such at it. a I mean, random job. I mean, you know, they joke about Rachel, uh, you know, well, Rachel's upset because she, she feels like she would have been uh, a better fit because she knows so much about makeup and they joke yeah. about her. You know, they would, do you, do you have the line of making Freddy Krueger look nice or something? Yeah, it's something like, um, oh, it, you know, it's a special effects makeup job. The last thing a director wants on Nightmare on Elm Street 29 is you suggesting that Freddy Krueger should moisturise. There we go. Lovely, lovely stuff. But, but yeah, you know, it would have made much more sense, um, I think, if it had been Rachel. I mean, John, Joe and Tina, why them? You know, why why, why pick up them? And actually, Tina is very unpresent in this episode, uh, which I found strange I feel like everyone else gets like a bit of a moment in the sun but Tina Tina really doesn't yeah I think she often is sort of sidelined it's a shame because I think she's quite funny I don't know if it's deliberate funniness but when (laughs) I find the way she delivers lines quite funny but yeah yeah, as you said why why those three 
why this job? Were special effects particularly cool at the time? <laughs> it's just a very odd choice. Why has Jodie arranged this? Who is this connection she has that she didn't have in the last series? Yeah, within 24 hours, her life has changed and she just can suddenly provide all these opportunities to people. Yeah, yeah, because she's also got Rachel a job in a fancy restaurant. Indeed. Indeed, La Presse piece. <laughs> it's just so annoying because it felt like in the whole of the last series, they were just sitting around and she was like asking them to pay rent and they were like, nah, can't be bothered. And now she's helping them earn two grand in a few days. It's so strange because you, they introduced so many random characters in this special. It could a- absolutely have been someone else. Like they could have met someone at the garage who would give them a job or, you know, a similar storyline to Bradley, like they see something in a magazine. But yeah, if you're saying that it's it's Joni who's had a complete change of character, then yeah, that, that feels quite lazy. Yeah, they shouldn't have brought her back, really. It, it kind of undermines the whole, you know, saying goodbye to her in the last episode as well. It's a bit odd mm. that she's back. And also, she's found them somewhere to live. She's not an estate agent or anything, <laughs> so I don't know why she was, like, showing them around this house, come to think of it. Uh, exactly, yeah. I hadn't thought of that either. Yeah, it's bizarre. So the three of them are, are tidying up. Bradley isn't back yet, so Hannah's a bit concerned. And I quite like this bit where Paul is just like, he'll come back, don't worry. Like like a faithful dog. <laughs> and he goes, he'll call Joni and she'll tell him where to find us. And at that point I was like, oh yeah, they've moved into a new house and he doesn't know where they are. Oh God, I didn't pick up on that at all. What, what if he never finds them again? Unless he magically has the mobile phone number somehow that uh, joe had but uh and again relying on joni he'll call (laughs) joni she'll tell him where we are and he'll come and meet us at the house we now live in that he had no part in choosing yeah exactly and i mean when he does eventually come back he was found by john joe and tina and they literally said i think they say look what we found not even who we found which is yeah like he's just been wandering the streets of la (laughs) like like just bumped into it (laughs) but um but yeah i i i enjoyed in the scene that paul is on his laptop which again i was like did people really have a laptop and then you know yeah it does pan so you see the screen of the of the of the computer and yeah that that was quite funny yeah i haven't seen a laptop in the show before i was surprised yeah i mean was it available at the apartment was that in their luggage who knows um what amenities <sighs> they've are just they've just gained it can't they just sell that for two grand that was probably uh worth a lot of money at the time uh, you know what you're absolutely right even the mobile phone i'm sure they could have had quite a, at least a few hundred dollars <laughs> they <laughs> could on, have guys. sold the uh the massive s that they've got on their wall i noticed the that one, yeah <laughs> which i've never seen before so that's clearly a new purchase <laughs> What They've a coincidence. Got their priorities right. What a coincidence. Yeah. Tell you what, this is going to be a great place to rehearse. Yeah, until it falls into the sea. Mm, maybe we should dance on tiptoes for the next few days. Mm. Well, we can't start rehearsing until John Jansen get back from that new job at that special effects company. Not fair. How come Jodie found them an interesting job? I mean, I know more about makeup than those three. It's a special effects makeup, Rach. Last thing a director wants on the set of Nightmare Number Two Twenty Nine is you coming up suggesting that Freddy Krueger moisturises. Mm, fair point. <laughs> Due back at five, but we can't even rehearse till Brad gets back. He'll come back. He'll contact Joni, and then he'll just come and see us. I just hope he's realised the error of his way. Hey, look at this. Oh, not another nude internet picture of John. 
I wish you'd stop posting then. Yeah, Paul's on this laptop and he's suddenly like, oh my God, look at this. And Rachel says, oh, not another nude internet picture of John. <laughs> Did she actually say nude? Because I thought it was yeah. nude. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and Hannah says, I wish you'd stop posting those. Because <laughs> this has come up in an episode before. But, oh, right, okay. But, and I, I think there was a debate at the time where it sort of, some people thought it was new. But I think it was definitely nude. But I think the implication then was that Joe had put a picture of John online, whereas here it's like he's just done it himself. Wow. He's clearly moved on from that. He's like saw he's seen the internet for what it was at the time. Yeah, that is a very strange thing to bring up on a kids' TV show. It's so <laughs> casually mentioned. If it is nude and not new, that is not implied. Uh, and I mean, there's a joke after this that's that's implied right because yeah paul has an email um from from zoe who is his first proper girlfriend mm-hmm. and yeah is it the hannah says oh she was the one who taught him how to kiss and rachel goes what taught him like it was an exam yes it was an oral <laughs> very very funny um but yeah a nude i, I mean I, I don't really want to think about a nude picture of john <laughs> I think maybe I would have heard it as new as well if I hadn't already seen that previous episode where it was definitely nude. Okay, well, there we go. So in my head, I was just like, oh, this is carrying on that theme from before, that running joke about nude pictures of John on the internet. Some more childhood innocence ruined today for me, definitely. (laughs) John John was my favourite when when I first got into S Club, so yeah. (laughs) Yeah, John's sweet. But Paul has got this email from his ex-girlfriend, He says they broke up just after the band started because it was sort of getting in the way, taking up all of his time, and she thought he was more serious about the band than about her. But it turns out Zoe is coming to LA and wants to meet up with him, so he's quite excited about that. Uh, Bradley is still wandering the streets. He goes to this job interview to being in a a boy band because that's how it works. Mm -hmm. You just apply to an ad and turn up and it's like a job interview. Uh, And the manager seems pretty unhinged and his <laughs> office appears to be in a warehouse one of the um, many <laughs> i looked up this guy and he he's pretty big he's called michael debar if that's how it's pronounced he's been in quite a lot of tv shows he's got like over 100 credits on imdb and he's a bit of a rock star as well he's been in like various bands he replaced Robert Palmer in the Power Station. Seriously? Uh, yeah, he was in some glam oh, rock wow. bands. He seems like quite big in sort of acting and music. And he, I think he hosts a radio show at the moment. And this role in S Club 7 Artistic Differences is not on his IMDb page. Oh, I only got right. it from the credits on the YouTube video. Because I, I have to say, I thought he acted the hell out of this. Um, yeah, I liked him. I, I really liked him. He, you know, he really goes for it. And it, it's not an easy role because he, I, he, he could have gone totally unhinged. But there's something... There's something about him where you can tell he's kind of holding back sometimes and then other times he's just really sort of hysterical and Bradley's just looking at him as if he's mad. And yeah, later on when when you meet the rest of the boy band who are not great actors, he still he still remains a, a good actor. I, I really enjoyed him. I would have loved to have seen more of him. Mickey D, the famous Mickey D. <laughs> yeah, he can clearly act, which is more than you can say for other people in this show. 
he's uh he's doing his best not sure why he's in this really <laughs> on his imdb page i noticed a year later he had a role in mulholland drive so wow. <laughs> it doesn't really compare does it maybe that's why he left it off his own imdb page. <laughs> i mean they're both set in la right so maybe it's just location 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 <laughs> yeah michael Devar. he seems pretty cool mm-hmm. uh he's playing yeah this sort of kooky manager He's talking to Bradley about this new boy band he's putting together. Uh, I quite like this bit where he says he's managed the Backstreet Girls mm-hmm. and Britney, and Bradley goes, Britney Spears. And he's like, no, Britney McLean. <laughs> <laughs> She's yeah. a one-legged country and western crooner. Yeah, that was that was weird. The, the one-legged thing again felt very like, I don't think you'd maybe uh, make that joke now, especially when... I think later on he says like, oh, you know, when you managed manage an, an act with three limbs or something, and you're like, why, why is <laughs> why is this such a talking point? And it feels it feels very strange. But the the Backstreet Girls did make me laugh quite a bit. Yeah, and a bit more of his backstory. He says he once played a comedy sidekick in a detective werewolf show starring William Shatner that got cancelled. <laughs> I want this guy to be S Club Seven's manager. I want more of him. Yes. Oh my god! Yes, that that would that would be so much better. Well, well, but have you checked? Is he coming back? Do you know? Or... No, I doubt it. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a shame because uh, I think he was the most charismatic person in this. Definitely. And he, he asks Bradley why he wants to be in a band, and Bradley is so honest. He's like, "Oh, I just need to, you know, get some money for some <laughs> car repairs," and he's basically like, "You're in." <laughs> you're in but he does ask him well Bradley do you have what it takes to make it in show business and then Bradley gets up and does this really oh, yeah. weird he little, does a dance little dance where he just I mean he kind of moves his arms and spins around on the spot and Mickey D's like oh amazing you're in and I was like what <laughs> like yeah he tells him he tells him he has moxie Bradley's actually quite you know he can do tricks but yes yeah I I enjoy that and then they both realize that neither of them know what it means having moxie um but but yeah, again, it's it's quite a long scene and it, it goes off in weird directions and and yeah, while while, while I enjoyed Mickey D, I think uh, I think Bradley could have been way more impressive than just having him do a little dance. Yeah, for about two seconds, and that was <laughs> yeah. impressive enough. But I mean, it makes sense when we see the rest of the band later. Bradley's oh, clearly yeah. the talented one. Absolutely. Are you looking to break into show business? Well, actually, um, well, good. Because you, my friend, have come to the right place. I have managed everybody. The Backstreet Girls I've managed. The Backstreet Girls. Backstreet Girls, absolutely. Britney I've managed. Britney Spears. Britney McLean, actually. She's a, well, she's a one-legged country and western crooner. <laughs> yes. She, she actually reached number 89 in the country charts. She had this fabulous single. It was called, Even With My Legs Screwed On, I Still Fell In Love With You. Very dramatic song, Bradley. So... Why do you want to be in a band, Bradley? Well, we decided to pay for some car repairs. Actually. Car repairs. Mm. Interesting. Well, most guys want to be chicks. Well, it's only for the summer, because I'm kind of in a band already, you see, so I don't really want nothing permanent. <laughs> no worries there, then, have you, Bradley? I'm in showbiz. It's not permanent, is it? One minute, you're on top of the world. You're playing a comedy sidekick to William Shatner in Cable's highest-rated detective werewolf show, and then... You're cancelled! And you end up managing a three-limbed crooner! (laughs) You know what I'm saying? No. Then, back at the house, we get the moment where John, Joe and Tina 
come home from work and they've got Bradley with them and Paul immediately storms out. It's very <laughs> awkward. In the, in the YouTube comments under this episode, someone said, um, Bradley came in looking like a kid who ran away from home and got found by his cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so true. And did you notice how um, John, Joe, and Tina are all wearing matching jackets? I'm guessing yeah. from from this special effects company that's never mentioned by name, or you know, they you don't really know what they're doing. Again, it's very strange the details that they do pay attention to and the details that they don't. <laughs> yeah, because there's a whole thing, isn't there, about how there's like a fake head in the fridge. Mm which scares Paul and then there's a fake body in the wardrobe and he's like screaming and they're making fun of him. So they do try to get a little bit of humor out of this special effects job. It's it's not it's not completely random, but it is quite sort of like wait, they're working for a special effects company. How's this happened? They've been working for them for less than 24 hours. And they've got to take props home they've, with they've them. Got to take props, so they trust them to take props home. The special effects company in LA, which I'm sure has a huge storage area, but somehow they, they trust them to take them home. Okay, sure, sure. <laughs> I can believe that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then it's rehearsal time on the roof or the balcony or something i'm not really sure of the, the layout of this house no it's, um, it's where the view is which is a mystery <laughs> yeah there's a moment earlier isn't there where jody just goes let's look at the view and there's like <laughs> yeah. a really generic like shot of la <laughs> Which is different from the, I think, the first shot of the view that you see when they first come up to the house. <laughs> but there we go. Yeah, I wonder where this house actually is. It seems it's probably one of those houses where you just kind of use it for filming and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. It's bizarre. I mean, you'd hope so because, as you said, it's like it's it's massive and it it's not a cozy place. And sure, there's seven people, but it it, it seems more like a showroom than anything else. Yeah, it, it made me think of, you know, in The Sims where you can yes. like you can buy a house but you can't afford to put any furniture in it and you're just sort of living in a massive house with like no furniture. With one chair in the middle, yes. <laughs> exactly. And they're all like sitting, one of them's on a sofa, the other one's on a chair right at the opposite end of the room and they're kind of shouting to each other to have a conversation. Exactly, yeah. I, I guess... In terms of filming, it makes it easier because then you can pan across all the people. But yeah, it doesn't seem like a house at all. Yeah. So Bradley helpfully asks, why are we rehearsing again? Oh, so yes. you can get a bit of exposition. <laughs> Some great exposition chat coming up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're rehearsing for the annual Venice Beach Battle of the Bands competition. Mm -hmm. And if they win, they'll get $500. Which seems so low. You're into music a bit more than I am, I think. When you hear Battle of the Bands, do you think about like a, a sort of mixed gender pop group? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, although when when you do get to the Battle of the Bands, the, the one of the bands that you hear coming off is quite a sort of rocky band. But yeah, I, I would expect bands that play instruments rather than a band where I think when you when you do spoiler when you do see them perform at Battle of the Bands, they don't even have microphones. So I, mean, <laughs> I didn't I, even notice. Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think they do anyway. Like, but I, I'm pretty sure they don't. And they're just you know seven seven people in their in their jeans and, and crop tops. I mean, I, I have to say I quite enjoyed how this did feel kind of wholesome they, they just look really like seven ordinary people and I, I guess I hadn't really picked up on that they are just wearing sort of 
polo tops and jeans and and crop tops and the the juicy zero zero t-shirt that Rachel was wearing in an earlier scene for sure I have this I, I had the same t-shirt I'm, I'm I'm pretty certain um so it felt very nice but yeah um Battle of the Bands in Venice Beach I I would expect way more rock and roll than 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 S Club 7. <laughs> this is the point where it comes up that Joni has got Rachel a job at La Presa Piece, a mm-hmm. fancy restaurant and she, Rachel hasn't even started the job yet and she already like can't be bothered mm. um but because it's a fancy restaurant Joe says come on Rachel it'll be good you'll get to spill soup all over Antonio Banderas again really enjoyed that Antonio Banderas just you know someone I don't think about that often on a day-to-day lovely to have that image of Rachel spilling soup on him she would as well because we see her at work later and she's pretty terrible oh yes <laughs> and there's a moment where Bradley is about to mention his new role in this other band but Tina interrupts him because she wants to start the rehearsal as usual if it weren't for Tina nothing would ever get done no rehearsals would ever happen because she seems to be the only one who instigates them and choreographs all of the dances and yeah the line that comes after that is I think the worst joke in inverted commas, where Bradley says, oh, remind oh, yeah. me, which is less likely to open up and swallow us whole, the ground or Tina? Ha <laughs> ha. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> Tina what? just wants to get stuff done. She wants to accomplish things and everyone just accuses her of being bossy. Yeah. Unbelievable, Bradley. Unbelievable. T- totally trying to distract uh, with a terrible joke. Unacceptable. Yeah, we get a song now, which is Reach. And I don't know about you, I really didn't enjoy the way this was shot. It's, Not at it's all. Su- it's suddenly night time, mm-hmm. uh, so it's very dark, there's loads of flashing lights, there's flames for some reason. <laughs> it feels like the camera is kind of all over the place, like some one shot for one second, another shot for one second, it just keeps going on like that. And it goes black and white at certain points. I thought it was really odd, but it's not usually like this. I'm blaming the new director. Yeah, I wrote, is it meant to have camcorder vibes or is that just the video quality? Because I also didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand. I, it was quite disconcerting. I was quite happy that it was reached because obviously at mm-hmm. this stage, you know, you hear the sort of little S Club songs in the background. And yeah, in this episode, it's reach and it's natural that are the two songs that the, the kind of pieces which I was like oh that's really good it could have been much worse um but you're, yeah I totally agree with you the way it was shot was really strange the fact that it's night when they're clearly rehearsing in the day I guess it's meant to create this kind of atmospheric vibe because they're next to a pool but again it just feels odd because you don't see the context I feel like if it had been you know in front of an audience or something where it's like oh because they're rehearsing to to play this battle it would have made more sense them being by a pool at night and and at one point it shakes like it's an earthquake as well like they're at the house and Paul carries on lip syncing bless him you know fantastic uh but yeah I thought it was a very weird artistic decision yeah and when it finishes it's daytime again suddenly (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they all sort of fall to the ground I guess partly because they're tired, partly because there's just been an earthquake during Paul's verse. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit weird as well how Hannah, well, maybe it's just me, they're all lying on the floor and Hannah is like, oh, that was fantastic. <laughs> it seemed a bit OTT. <laughs> like she was really, she really enjoyed that. <laughs> you know, she's been so stressed because of her dream 
that yeah she says it's good to have you back bradley and i mean he was only gone for a few hours i know hannah was making a big deal of it he didn't even miss a rehearsal he's back already but this is the point where he breaks the news to them that he now has a a temporary part-time job in another band and Mm -hmm. we learned that it's called guys incorporated That made me laugh. So I absolutely love that it's called Guys Incorporated. I think that's I genuinely, I think that's very funny. <laughs> yeah, they're all a bit miffed about Bradley. But Hannah is like, well, you know, at the end of the day, there isn't any specific rule that we can't join other bands. Paul comes in, spoil sport, like, actually, there is. He gets out a notepad, which has the S Club Constitution in it. And this is the point where Joe says, oh, we only let you put that together because you wouldn't shut up while we were watching Buffy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, Paul is so annoying in this episode and they all acknowledge it. None of them have got any time for Paul in this episode. They just kind of go along with what he's doing. And there's so much chat about felt-tip pens because there was a chat about felt-tip pens back when they were talking about the rotor. And when they start getting angry at him for being such a stickler about the S Club constitution, he said, oh, but it used half a box of felt-tip pens. And I was like, again, it's like Paper Chase sponsoring this or something. Why Why so much focus <laughs> on, on the felt-tip pens? Yeah, I think there's a bit where they're talking about the money and Bradley says something to Paul like, oh, you shouldn't have spent so much money on all those felt-tip pens, bro. <laughs> Bro, incredible. (laughs) So the constitution, the S Club constitution, says that no member of the band can sing, dance, or make rhythm with another band at the same time. And Bradley is like, well, in that case, I can't be an S Club 7 at the moment because we need the money. Mm -hmm. And so it's Paul's just being so difficult bradley could have been in both bands for the time being i think i think Mm -hmm. i'm on bradley's side here he could have done both temporarily but paul is like nope you have to be all in you can either be in s club seven or guys incorporated yeah i'm i'm absolutely team bradley on this one you know paul seems to be kind of having rules for the sake of having rules what's what's going on paul what's going on in your mind um and i don't know if you noticed this but uh, you know, when Bradley then eventually sort of storms out again and Paul turns around, he has a massive grass stain on his ass. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> no, I didn't see that. <laughs> like they couldn't have, uh, you know, changed the trousers or, or something like that, which I, in a way I kind of, I liked that it was there because it just made it seem a bit more real. On the other hand, I was like, oh, that just, that, that doesn't make him look very nice. <laughs> yeah, probably not enough budget for that. Oh, Can't yeah. have a change of clothes. No, big house, yes. Change of clothes, no. <laughs> So Bradley leaves again. Yet again, Paul is like, oh, he'll come back when he realises the error of his ways. He'll (laughs) apologise. Hannah's freaking out about the dream again. Mm -hmm. She thinks it's coming even more true. She's like, what if we split up and never see each other again, even if we live to be 30? Yeah, 30. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) I love how in the scene, uh, John is holding a guitar throughout and does not play it at all. It's like he's looking at the guitar, he's putting his hands on the guitar and you're like, is he going to strip? No, absolutely nothing. He's just there. I don't think he even says anything or maybe he says one thing in the whole scene. He's just there holding a guitar. Purely decorative. Maybe he's, we've caught him in the middle of writing a new S Club song. A new S Club hit, absolutely. So Rachel does her first shift at La Presse Peace. There's a really obnoxious customer who's talking about partying with Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to be fair, Rachel is being quite a rubbish waitress as well. He asks her for wine 
and she repeats what she's just said in a whiny American voice because she thinks he's telling her to whine. Uh, oh. I didn't really, I didn't really oh, get it I the first that. time. Okay, I, I totally missed that because yeah, it, it, it's a weird one because he says wine. She goes, "I'm sorry." He goes, "Wine." Then she does the weird voice, and at the beginning you feel sorry for her. You're like, "Oh god, this guy's being really horrible." But then when she does that voice, I was like, "What are you doing, Rachel?" Is it because you <laughs> think he doesn't understand you, so you need to do it in an American voice that makes a lot more too too clever? Yeah, for that's me. that's what I assumed first. I was like, "Oh, is she's putting on an American voice because she thinks that he can't understand her?" But no, mm-hmm. she thinks that he's literally commanding her to whine. <laughs> okay, that makes. In a way, more sense and no sense at the same time. Yeah, and then she accidentally hits him over the head with a menu and he starts choking on something. This is a point where she gets talking to another waiter who's called Jed Stone, which sounds like a fake name to me. Jed Stone. There's, there's, I've got two other names, which I'm like, is this just the American bro name generator? Because I actually thought he was called <laughs> Jet Stone at the beginning, which would have been even worse. Uh, but yeah, Jed Stone, very, very memorable name. Yeah, he's played by an actor called Michael Houston King. Uh, he does a bit of acting, but again, this role is not on his IMDb page. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, he's hiding yeah. it from us, and and I wonder why because it's it's such an amazing character. His his story arc is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this guy so much. Yeah, he's the worst. Yeah. So worst. Rachel is hitting off with Jed Stone. Uh, meanwhile, Paul meets up with his ex girlfriend Zoe, who is played by Holly Willoughby, actual Holly Willoughby. <laughs> So if there's anyone listening who isn't from the UK, Holly Willoughby is a very famous TV presenter here. And this, yeah, this I was not expecting this at all. She's not an actor. So this is quite random. Uh, when I looked it up, there was an article in the mirror with the headline, check out Holly Willoughby as a, capital letters, child star in S Club 7 <gasps> oh, film no. Artistic Differences. She isn't really a child, is she? No. She looks like she's maybe about 20. No, that's really strange. Yeah, absolutely not a child. Definitely an adult. Um, but yeah, th- there's no explanation as to why she's in LA, by the way. So, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. She's just like, oh yeah, I'm going to be in LA for a bit. I'm going to be in own. LA for a bit. You find out later that she's a pedicurist, which is yeah. a, a weird detail. And I was again thinking in, in a very rational way, like, could a British pedicurist really afford to just jet off to LA just like that? Or, or yeah, and she doesn't seem to be on like a a family holiday or anything. She's just no. sort of on her own because she ends up hanging around with Paul the whole time. <laughs> all the time but yeah the 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 scene where you're introduced to her it's so short uh it, it just literally kind of introduces her and then and then it cuts back to rachel right because the yeah it keeps cutting and it kind of cuts to bradley for a bit as well because he's at a restaurant possibly well he's he's at la Presa piece as well i think right. it's implied yes, even though this so. is a really fancy exclusive restaurant it's just <laughs> where guys incorporated are meeting up mm-hmm yeah, I, I think it is the precipice because later on he bumps into Rachel. Yes, um, that's right. Yeah. I was also thinking, like, is he, isn't he? It's not very clear. Yeah, Paul Paul and Zoe have a really short catch-up and a guy just comes and sits at their table and starts hitting on her, completely ignoring Paul. Yeah. Um, and he's and he the guy goes, 
oh, you're really pretty. And Paul goes, yeah, she knows. (laughs) (laughs) So childish. So so weird. I mean, this guy is creepy as hell for sure. But uh, but Paul's response is very bizarre. Yeah. And and she's doing that um, classic thing that women do where she's kind of going along with it politely but she's really like please leave me alone mm-hmm. exactly did, did you clock what he was called this guy uh i can't remember now because he turns out to be an agent doesn't he but i can't remember his name see that this is like strike two on my american name generator he's called todd abercrombie <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah abercrombie that was it <laughs> Todd Abercrombie. Todd Abercrombie from I can't remember what the name of the agency is because at first I thought he was saying he works for Abercrombie, so I had to like rewind and I was like, oh no, he's called <laughs> Todd Abercrombie because of course, yeah, American name generator. I, I wrote down like, why not Chad Macy's? You know? <laughs> Can we get more stereotypical? Yeah, he asks her if she has an agent, and she's like, I don't need an agent. I'm a pedicurist, <laughs> and he goes, wrong. You were a pedicurist, and gives her his card. And Paul Ugh. obviously is a bit miffed, firstly, because she's being hit on by another guy. Secondly, because she's been in LA for like a few hours and she's already got an agent. Absolutely. And a, and a creepy one at that. Like he kisses her hand he t- and then he like winks at Paul in this really weird predatory <laughs> way. Yeah, just really, really unsavory. I, I, if I were her, I would not want him to be my agent. Bad, bad decisions there. And with Holly Willoughby being in this, I went down over a rabbit hole with this because it says online that I think this was in the uh, the Mirror article. It says she won the role after appearing on CITV's S Club TV, which I, I have this. literally never heard of before. No. And I couldn't find much about it online. I could find there was a list of presenters who included Holly Willoughby. And the actor Ben Barnes, who's in lots of stuff like Westworld. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and on Holly Willoughby's Wikipedia page, it just says, in S Club TV, actors represented an alternative S Club. <laughs> and that's it. And she what? was on it. But I don't know. It doesn't have its own Wikipedia page. I've got no idea. So if there's anyone listening who remembers watching that, it's called s club tv and it was on citv well, do you know what genuinely sophie i know someone who works for itv in the archive so i might i oh, might email them, them after this because i would love to see alternative s club with yeah i don't know holly willoughby as hannah ben barnes as john <laughs> who knows it's really odd yeah all i could really find was just a list of like seven presenters and that one sentence on her wikipedia page i like nothing else online at all so i'm interested to know what that was because i'm pretty sure i didn't watch it how many tv shows does one band need this is my question i mean you already have all of this with all the specials and the films and whatever and an alternative because the the mainstream one isn't enough <laughs> yeah on citv as well like they had to have both channels yeah. covered oh yeah 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 true 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 yeah that's mm. really bizarre if anyone listening remembers watching s club tv get in touch <laughs> you haven't changed much neither of you i like you've had the braces removed from your teeth yeah well i thought this would be a better look for me <laughs> it is <laughs> hi hi uh, excuse me Excuse me. Can I say something? Yeah. Goodbye would be fantastic. You are really, really pretty. Uh. She knows. I noticed first. Do you have representation? Um. An agent. Great. An agent. Todd Abercrombie. 
creative management agency. Um, I don't need an agent. I'm a pedicurist. Wrong. You were a pedicurist. Call me. And that's the end of part one. We'll be back later this week with part two of Artistic Differences. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at SPodThing and give us a good review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.